Welcome to Communication Keys. Uh, I'm your host, Comso Numechelli. I'm here with uh, Professor Ben Brigandi. Uh, what's up, Professor? Oh, doing well. With Professor uh, Brigandi, we want to talk about uh, his career as a sports editor at the Williamsport Sun Gazette. Um, you worked there for how long? 18 years? I was there for 18 years. Okay. Yes. Before that, I spent three years at the Express in Lock Haven. And I got there as a fresh out of school uh, journalism graduate at Penn State. And it was not necessarily the career I was looking to get into at the time. I had more of a broadcast emphasis, but there was enough all around communication and uh, journalism and writing background that I was able to get the job. And after a few months of making daily mistakes, but trying not to make the same ones twice, I grew into it, was there for three and a half years until really the Sun Gazette called up out of the blue and offered me an interview for a position I did not know was open. This was in uh, the fall of 1999 and they had just gone from an afternoon paper to a morning paper, which was uh, very, they were late to change over. There weren't that many afternoon papers left by then. Uh, that's, Historically, that had been more common, but uh, they had just changed over. They were changing some things in the newsroom because of a change. And they called and offered me an interview. And a month after that, I started. And I was there for 18 years until my health went downhill. Like I told you about that in the class before. And I've been mm -hmm. doing this since I got better. Okay. So, um, from school, so you didn't, when you were in school, did you think, like, you were, you were focused on broadcasting? Yeah, and everybody, if you go back to the mid-90s, the big thing was SportsCenter. Dan Patrick and Keith yeah. Olbermann, Chris Berman doing the highlights. I mean, I still watch Dan Patrick. Even, grow, even me growing up, the same thing. Like, it was SportsCenter. Yeah. Up in the morning. <laughs> and uh, it was one of those things where, yeah, you can name half the roster of NBA, every NBA team. You know every major league team's starting rotation. All of that stuff, and I had it at the time. They started up a student run station up there, which is still in existence. Back then, they had this, uh, it was a public radio station, WPSU, and there was chunks of student programming in it. And then, in the middle of my tenure there, my start of my junior year, they went to an all student run station. I mean, everything from having kids, you know run graveyard shifts on the soundboards and playing whatever records they could get their hands on, that kind of thing. I had a sports talk show with no ads, no callers, and no guests. Right. So how do you think that went? <laughs> I mean, that must have been a test for you. I'm test of patience. Yeah, we, uh, the important thing to know was that we tried. And occasionally, and I, I happened to also grow up in State College. My dad would hear it and occasionally call in with a question. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he would uh, not identify himself by name, but I knew who it was. <laughs> there were a couple other people whose friends would call in. You know, we would have, we might get a call or a show, whether it was my dad or somebody's friend or somebody's roommate kind of thing, just to throw us a bone to give us something else to talk about. But it was, it was an interesting time. Um, I remember one of the first nights we were actually training was the night uh, Cal Ripken broke Lou Gehrig's record. Really? 
and this was a big deal up at the time up there. Okay. But that was also the day Penn State's basketball coach Bruce Parkhill suddenly resigned very late in the postseason, as you know. This is, you know, Penn State just hired this new coach this week. You know, it's supposed to happen in March or April. There it was a burnout deal and it happened in September, so this is a real big day and we're trying to train everything and it's holy cow, we gotta cover all this and this big historical <laughs> baseball event is going on in the background and it's one of those, hey. Welcome to the real world because you can't control when news is going to happen. So, like, what was your, like, reaction to that? I mean, like, how was, like, the show's reaction in terms of, like, was it, was it a good thing that you were overfilled with material or, like? That day, we, I'm trying to remember now. I think that day was a slight, it was, it was like, first week of September. So, as you know, that's when the semester starts kind of breaking in. But at that point, I think we just had a general show. I was not running, the sports director was running it, and you know, this is 1995, pre-internet. I don't even think I knew the basketball coach resigned until I got to the station. Because right. it's not like, I think he called a couple of people to get help, but I wasn't high enough on the totem pole to do it. And uh, I walked in at like, I remember five o'clock, and boy, this is a big day, and I'm getting these looks like, you're not, kidding it's a family podcast so i'll keep the, the language clean but uh you know we just it was it was one of those things where you look back on it and you realize you can't you can't control the news happening sometimes you know you can tell a big game's going to come up but news is going to break and you can't control it and roll the punches and you know and, and on days where there's no games or no breaking news that I discuss or report, well, that's that's where the whole idea of planning comes in and, you know, how interesting are you when there's nothing interesting going on? Yeah. So, actually, comparing that, like a slow day working that show and then comparing that to being a sports editor for Williamsport, like, I mean, Williamsport, like, is that, like, what was that like? Like, what? slow days. On a slow day at the newspaper, the thing there is you can tell in advance what's going to happen. And in fact, when you're there after a couple of years, I would, I would be able to know, and this is still largely true, even pandemic hasn't shifted timeline that much, but if you told me any given year what's probably going on on what is it, March 18th, I'd be like, well, we know the NCAA tournament is about to start up, right? Yeah. And a high school wrestling tournament has probably just ended. We probably still have a couple of teams in the first weekend of the state tournament, maybe the second in basketball. We'll worry about that. Uh, like, we might run some preview stories and feature stories about the state tournaments on nights where there are no games. If it's the first Saturday in October, college football is in fertile full swing. You know, Penn State may or may not be the capital of the world that afternoon. We don't know. You know, it could be. They could be playing Ohio State or they could be playing, you know, Rutgers, whatever. But uh, you could have some, you know, like Cummings probably playing somebody. Um, Bucknell, a couple of high school games might be going on in the afternoon. The Major League Baseball playoffs are just starting. That's a very busy time. Uh, the annual dead period is usually the week after the All-Star break in baseball because nothing really? goes on. Oh, yeah. I would expect the summer. 
But then you got the Little League tournament. Yeah, I would always hope the Crosscutters had home games during the week of the All-Star break so we would have some like fresh local pictures to be able to shoot. If we didn't, yeah, then you've got to plan in advance some packages and feature stories. That's where a lot of times you can uh, you just pick your spots. You might you might work on something like two or three weeks in advance, a feature story on somebody or just some kind of takeout piece looking into an issue in sports or something like that. And you pick it for the slow time to run. You don't necessarily want to take the time to do a story like that and then have it appear the first weekend of October when you've got 10 million things going on. And so getting a feel for the calendar and the way it's going to ebb and flow over the year, that's, that's important. And yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we don't like things happening in the last couple weeks of August that have nothing to do with kids from Mexico and Japan playing baseball. <laughs> So about little league, like, what do you, are there like any years that really stand out to you, like, off your memory? Oh, there are several. We were just talking about this in the SportsCon class this week because we had the uh, media relations guy Brian McClintock come in on Monday, and we talked a little bit more on Wednesday. Uh, you know, the first year, the first year I was here at the Sun Gazette was two thousand. And that was the year a team from Venezuela came here and they had one bat. They had no money down there. And they came up with one bat. And every little leaguer comes in and gets the latest and greatest in equipment and gifts from bats to helmets to batting gloves to T-shirts to Syria. I mean, it's, it's been going on for 60 years. There's a picture, well, not a picture, but there's an exhibit over at the League Museum of a bike that kids from the First World Series got. You know, it's, it's been going on forever. But no, they came, they got a bat. They won, they beat a team from Texas. And then the next morning I drove to the Meadowlands and back to cover Penn State, get its butt kicked by USC in the kickoff classic. And I remember being so out of gas, having a day after the series, five hours or four hours in the car there, five hours, six hours at the stadium, four hours back, I swear I fell asleep in the car turning off 80 down there in Turbotville, if you know where that is. Coming in um, about 20 minutes out of it. Okay. It just, I was, it's, it was rough. But uh, yeah, the next year was Danny Almonte. You know, he was found to be 14 years old. We didn't know it at the time. We were talking about this uh, this week. We didn't think at the time necessarily he was uh, 14 years old. Well, that, that's above the legal age? Yeah, you've got to be, you can't be older than 12 to no, play a little league. Now you can turn 13 like during the year. Like if you turn 13, you know, during if you turn 13 in the summer and you're like 13 years old in three weeks during the time of the series, that's okay. But you know, you, for like the bulk of the season, the bulk of the calendar year, you need to be 12. Well, he was he was 14, and we had reasons, some reasons to doubt it, even though there were a lot of rumors going around. The team, of course, uh, from the Bronx is where he's from, was denying the whole thing. His mother was 27, so we're like doing some math here going. <laughs> 27 or 14 year old okay he couldn't hit that well for being as great of a pitcher as he was uh, a week later um, a sports illustrated reporter doing a different story swung by the courthouse in the Dominican Republic and confirmed that he was born in 1987 and not 1989 wow. I found this out by watching one of the cable news channels as I got up in the morning thinking, okay, well, there goes my day. <laughs> and uh, that was actually, George Bush was here, president. He had just been elected. And that was his last public appearance before 9-11, two weeks later. Uh -huh. 
in uh, 2011, you had a team from Clinton County, Lock Haven, come up here and they filled the place. There was 30,000 people here every single night. And there are 30,000 people in Clinton County. <laughs> so when I see you say, you know, the entire town was there. The whole time. It's, I mean, you're, you, it's, it's not that much of an exaggeration. And you always wondered what would happen if you had a team come here with like local, would it just be overwhelming? Would it be not fun? Would it be too much work? Would it kill you? But they were great. I mean, the manager was great. The kids were great. They, they were the focus of that series. And they, they handled themselves well on the spot, which is, which is what you want. You wouldn't want that team coming here and acting like the bad news bears, you know, spitting in hands in the postgame shake and things like that, which, which had happened here. Um, and then the last one, the big one, was 2014, where he had Money Davis. Just, yeah, that's the one I remember. Because she's about your age, I probably, yeah. a couple years younger. But, yeah, she was everywhere. And uh, Sports Illustrated shows up to do a profile on her. And you know about these kids before they get here now because the regional tournaments are now on ESPN, so people can see it come in. 20 years ago when I started, it was just newspaper accounts, and the Internet was kind of sketchy. You didn't see this much. They'd come here and you get the big introduction. Now, some of these kids in the week or two before the tournament, they become stars. And that was just such a transformation because, again, people knew who she was. She was a girl, she was a pitcher, she was good. Sports Illustrated came the first week and did a story on her. And her first game, she wins on BBC on a weekend afternoon. And it's like, Oh boy, I mean, it just, it took on a life of itself, and we were just talking, I did, you know, Brian McClintock, when I, our memories of Monet, where she, she held, she held up well, but she, Brian said it looked like she wanted a nap, and I remembered from her Sports Illustrated interview that she just wanted things to be normal. Yeah. And the coach, of she course, has tired. to, yeah, and the coach, coach, of course, has to make sure the other players know that you're not doing anything wrong, but she's getting all the attention and you're not. And of course, they're Philadelphia too, so this is the, the Northeast Mid-Atlantic team that comes in here is kind of a de facto home team. Well, if Monet Davis had pitched for a team from Oregon, it might have been a little different, but if you've got Philadelphia people coming up here. Yeah, they're passionate. Oh yeah, in New York City, they've done it too. They've had Staten Island come in here and be a big deal, and even Almonte's uh, Bronx, they had a lot of supporters too. That was also the area you had uh, this Jackie Robinson West team out of Chicago. They were part of the Little League Urban Initiative where Little League uh, tries to plant, basically plant baseball scenes in the inner cities to get more people playing. It's mm. And it's taken root a little bit with Major League Baseball because Rob Danford, the commissioner, wants to grow the game with kids and that's one reason you have the Little League Classic here. Uh, this summer you'll have Mike Trout with the Angels playing the Indians here at Bowman Field. Oh, really? Um, he has to be the it would, it'll be the fourth one. They couldn't do it last year, kind of, basically, because of the pandemic. But uh, this Jackie Robinson team, uh, they were great. Kids were great. They were fun to watch. They were really good. They just lost the they uh, they just lost the championship. That's all. But it was discovered afterwards by a neighboring little league coach or administrator. He had an axe to grind, and he was kind of a jerk, but he was correct and that some administrator for the Jackie Robinson League had gone in and redrawn the boundaries for the league and had taken players that should not be playing for this league, they should have been playing for somebody else. And as a result, they were ineligible because again, it's, wow. it's the idea of 
if you have an all-star team from Williamsport, they're supposed to play this all-star team from Chicago neighborhood, not like an all-star team from the entire south side of Chicago, which is where some, uh, some of that kind of, that can happen. That also mm -hmm. used to be, if you know about like the Taiwan teams dominating 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was kind of the same thing. It was almost like a Taiwan national team coming in here. People talk about Taiwan teams coming in Oh, they're six one, and they got mustaches, and they're seventeen. Well, that's not quite it. If you take the twelve-year-old all-stars from a small town, yeah, you might have one kid who's six feet tall, right? Yeah. If you take the all-star team from half a country, all of them gonna be like. Yeah, that. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's. I had a mustache when I was twelve, and of course I had to shave. You know, I also <laughs> couldn't hit my weight, but uh, yeah, that's. That was so. This it's kind of sounded like a common occurrence. Like there's people try to like skate by the rules. It, it happens a lot more at the local level when it gets caught. And mm. it, little league is about once a decade now had a problem. Oh, really? And uh, they just try to react to it best they can. I mean, mm. and it's the thing's only gotten bitter. It only takes more time on the TV schedule every single year, right? And uh, yeah, the other one just to mention is Major League Baseball Little League Classic. The first one that came in here in 2017, you had the Pirates play the Cubs. Or no, the Pirates played the Cardinals. And uh, it went off so well, they've done it every year since. Nobody knew how it was going to be. And then you see the buses, you know, take the air, you know, get in the airport and uh, drive the bus in across the bridge over here. And <laughs> ESPN shown the drone footage of, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals stuck in traffic on the bridge like they're, you know, <laughs> you and me. And uh, yeah, then everybody gets out and it's like, hey, there's Andrew McCutcheon. <laughs> it, but it was, it worked well the first year, so they've done it every year since. But uh, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's far and away the biggest thing that happens here, even if 11 of the other months of the year Little League Baseball is not that big of a deal. And in my time with the sports editors group, you know, I, it could overwhelm a bigger paper even if, you know, you, you know, picked up Romney Stadium and dropped it in, you know, downtown Detroit or something that would, <laughs> you know, overtake that city. And it's it was too big for us, but we did the best we could. So like going forward, because um, I've heard that they did make some changes. Not everything is going to be in Williamsport. Did that happen true? Is that true? Or... No. What they decided actually they announced they announced on Tuesday that they're going to basically give themselves two months to make a decision is what's going to happen, and uh, they've got to do things like figure out not only can they have fans here that's that's actually kind of down the road mm -hmm. but what kind of tournament they can they have they're actually going to expand it for this year but they've had the tables at. Uh, if you consider like trying to get a European champion in here, can you even have a European tournament? Those regionals are played in Poland. Can you get teams from say Spain, England, and Italy into Poland? That's literally can't control that. The United States yeah. can't control that. Poland, <laughs> England, Spain, Italy, they control that. So they have to be able to figure out what they can do before they do it. But they, you know, they do have regional tournaments. Oh, yeah. Southern California has got some, Texas, Georgia, Indianapolis, and uh, Connecticut, which is conveniently in Bristol, which is right there. <laughs> and it's, but that, I mean, ESPN's, well, it was ABC back in the day, but you know, the ABC and ESPN joined. It's been ESPN's <laughs> baby in August, other than, you know, training camp hiccups in football. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty slow time for them, too. Mm-hmm.
because there's like no sports going on. I mean, even for me, because I'm a big sports fan, like thinking that's such a slow time of the year. I'm so bored. Like only thing that really I would say if you're a soccer fan, it's usually soccer tournaments in the, in the mm-hmm. summer. But other than that, it's really nothing other than regular season baseball. Yeah, if you have an Olympics, that's one thing. Or yeah. if the World Cup happens to run late, but it usually it's not going to be like that but usually world cup is like mid-june to mid-july exactly. yeah there's just not you know i always used to joke that you know they took tim tebow off the air for a couple of weeks to put in you know yeah. kids that's just because that's that's what they were doing yeah going back to like the controversial topics of if people are if the kids are legal if they're legal to play on those teams uh like going back to Almonte, if he was too old or the Taiwanese kids, um, the all-star teams, like all that. So in terms of the speculation from the media side, like how would you guys handle that? Would you just try to ignore it until it comes to actually be a story? Or like, like how would you go about that? You hear rumors, and this goes for journalism in general. You check them out if you can, but you don't, you only report what you know. I mean, there's a situation, you know, it's it's wood that comes from like Watergate and all the president's men. It's wood, you know, it's, we got it. You don't, you don't report half-baked insinuations or you don't, you should not be reporting that people are raising questions. That's a famous word. That's how, you know, you can get into trouble in that journalism way. and that's, you're frankly not doing yourselves any favors here if you're gonna fan the flames of a rumor that yeah. you have no idea is even true. It just kind of sounds like a tabloid type thing. A what? A tabloid. Oh yes, a tabloid. Yeah, yeah. tabloid type thing. Um, it's yeah, uh, yeah it, it can be difficult, and it's gotten worse in the age of social media because before it would be the media and the teams and the organizations maybe discussing it. The fans didn't always have access to every last rumor, and if they did, it tended not to go viral in the way it can now. Now, nobody, not Little League, not the NFL, not the Pittsburgh Steelers, certainly not some volunteer coach, and not me or the New York Times, we can't stop fans from wild controversies on social media. Mm. And Yeah, because people are going to talk at the end of the day. People are gonna talk and the best, most disciplined and simple thing you can do if you are a real legitimate media person is only address it with facts that you know. Asking questions about a rumor on Twitter is a problem. Passing along things you have not verified yourself is a problem and it's certainly nothing you should be doing, you know, on your website or your newspaper. Crowdsourcing opinions can get you into trouble because you're just asking for more people to weigh in on something and you have no idea who's gonna see what because it just is all over the place. And so the big thing there is just, social media has changed a lot in this industry and for the better and the worse, but the big temptation on stories of any kind of scandals is to give in and give your goods away on Twitter and also to give away things that are not wood on Twitter that just make your life harder. Yeah. I mean, you want people to believe the truth, but you can't control whether or not they do. And I know you've studied elements of that here, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that's like how you uphold like the integrity 
of your newspaper or even just whoever's reporting that. That's how you keep your integrity. And just looking at, like, even recently, I guess the news story is, like, uh, with Deshaun Watson. I don't know if you heard about that with the uh, allegations there. Like, you can't really go either way on it. Yeah, you have there, you have accusations yeah. by somebody and they're raised. What happens there in those situations is people report that the teams are concerned about the accusations. That does give the media some cover. Let's mm-hmm. also not ignore the fact that the Texans want, like, one of the four first-round picks for them, and that's kind of their negotiating. Exactly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm under the opinion he might not get traded just because the Texans won't meet anybody halfway, but that's a separate story. But, yeah, those are situations where you need to be careful. Um, if you can get the accuser to comment, that's one thing. If you have a police record, if, if you have a police trail, that's another thing. If, like, charges were filed against Deshaun Watson over this somehow, mm-hmm. then you really have something. Yeah. But there's a long list of cases in sports and in daily life where you've got a lawyer or somebody else who knows how to get headlines getting some oxygen on a story that isn't there. Um, if there are nothing to these allegations, I'm assuming Deshaun Watson's name will recover. If there is something to them, I think he has bigger problems than who he's going to play quarterback for this year. Yeah. And that's that happens with a lot of people. Yeah, there's a couple of these like every year, and you just like these type of things they do happen in society, so like they're prevalent. So you don't ever want to just jump to conclusions mm-hmm. either way. And at the same time, you never know if he's just innocent or somebody just going for a quick money grab. But like you really cannot go too far to either side just to keep up with like the integrity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, you worked 18 years at the Williamsport Sun Gazette, so I'm sure you have like some crazy stories over the course of those 18 years. Like, cause, yeah, so actually, now nah, let's start. Like, how was like a regular day as being a sports editor? Yeah, I, I, I called it the default day, you know, yeah. the default schedule. It was usually working from about 3 30 or 4 till midnight or a little bit past it. 3 30. PM? Yeah, yeah, because okay. the presses went, we went to press, depending on the night, and even it changed over time, between 11.30 and 12. Mm. So you would get in, from about 2010 on, you had a better idea of what was going on before you got there because of the internet and social media. Before then, it tended to be, did you watch ESPN for a little bit, or did somebody reach out to you and call you that something local was happening? Now, it became easier to figure that out. So at any rate, you'd go in, and you would then, based on what you knew, what you thought you knew, what the schedule said, um, you'd start to plan what you're going to put into the paper that night. Okay. And the Associated Press covered a lot of the uh, statewide, by statewide, I mean Pittsburgh and Philly teams, and national stuff for us. And they send out a couple of digests every day for sports. They put one out in the morning, and they put one out in the late afternoon. They do it for every, you know, they do it for news, entertainment, international, they do them all the time. So you guys will use their digest? Yeah, we use their digest to know what's coming. If they're going to write a story on the Philadelphia Eagles, we're going to know what it's about. Mm -hmm. And if it's not already written and in there for us. And I had five pages a day. one of the pages was we call the scoreboard page, or sometimes you hear it referred to the agate page because it's the agate type, which is tiny. And those were the box scores go and the standings and the transactions and all the little nuts and bolts things. 
Um, you'd figure out from everything that's going on based on the calendars, the digests, other feature stories and columns that you knew the staff had written. What was going to go on the front page, you could probably put about five stories on the front page. Uh, you'd look to see if you were shooting anything that day, like a basketball game that night or a baseball game that afternoon. You might want to blow that picture up big or you might want to decide what the big story is. Uh, if you had something like, you know, the NBA Finals going on, Game 4, you could blow that up fine, and you're fine, even on a local paper. You know, the NBA Finals is that big, right? Yeah. And then you get everything set up. I do the one page that usually just had uh, some briefs on it and a couple of other stories and things in the can. So you would you would write the one page? No, we would take it off of the wire usually, or we okay. would uh, we would have some briefs sent in. You might rewrite them, or somebody else might rewrite them. What I would do is I would read the stories to make sure that they were as long as they wanted. If I only wanted a three paragraph brief, I might take a four hundred word wire story and cut it down to three paragraphs. And a lot of times, as I've said, in, I was, we were talking, you know, the pyramid style, which we got into a little bit with press releases. Most of the times, associated press stories, especially straight news reports, you can kind of chop them off after the first three or four paragraphs and generally be okay. So you might collect, you know, a half dozen of those things, put them in a briefs roundup. Maybe you want to get the Eagle story in and it's run early enough for you can use. And I would just get a page out of the way early in the night, usually by about dinner time. Okay. And then the rest of it tend to be pretty live and big news. Uh, the front page would be what was ever going on. Uh, I usually had a jump page um, for like stories to jump and a lot of times there were ads on it. I mean, you might have to cut stories a little bit if there were too many ads. It was all part of the planning process for the day. And then the last page would be one of the ones at the very, very end. And it was kind of like, we, we just call it the roundup page. And that was the Major League Baseball roundup. Maybe you pull a Cubs Pirates picture off the wire and use it. Maybe you have another picture from a local event going on, like maybe a photographer shot a tennis match in the afternoon. And uh, you'd have area coaches and SIDs like Joe submit. You know, he'd, he'd send in like the soccer, um, you know, like how many plays Wilkes in soccer that day and on the road he'd make sure we had the box scoring over the summary to work with and high school coaches would pick up the phone and call their scores in or email them in or back 20 years ago fax them in <laughs> um, and then we would just make box scores out of what they gave us usually I had a couple of uh, part-time clerks in there who would help with it or maybe a sports writer was not out covering a game that night and would help do it and that would be the last page. Um, those pages would go out at like 11, 11.30 by 12, basically. Sometimes you get a big event, like you're waiting for you know, a World Series game to end. And baseball was always the worst on deadline because in basketball and football, at least you got a clock. <laughs> Trying to get the Steelers Monday night game in, you know there's three minutes to go. You can guess it'll be over in 10 minutes, especially if it's not gonna come down to the wire. Baseball, you just root for the ninth inning not to take up 45 minutes, but, you know, it can happen. So you might save a little hole on the page for, like, you know, a playoff game or something if you need to. And pretty much hope you get it. And if you don't, have something ready to plug in there. If it doesn't get it. You could hold up the presses occasionally, but you're not supposed to. And to be honest with you, sometimes the battle is not worth fighting. <laughs> you know, if you're going to hold up an entire newspaper over one story, it better damn well be a good one. If it's something like a Monday Night Steelers game, they know you're going to hold for it. 
but there's no reason to hold for a Monday night random Saints Bears game, you know. So would like those like those battles you're talking about would they be like intense? And would it be between like your colleagues or like who would the battles be between? The battles. Yeah. Well, we didn't really fight. We just <laughs> uh, we didn't we didn't fight that much. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, our newsroom was probably about, like, our corner in sports was probably about the size of two full-size professor's offices stuck oh, next to each other. Really? So, so how many people would that be, like, six? Like, five. Five? Oh, okay. So you'd have, like, I'd be here, and the guy doing scoreboard would have his computer over there by the umbrella, and there'd be, you know, somebody, well, if we imagine here, somebody all the way out by the doors outside my office, uh, yeah, podcasts or visual medium. Your listeners can understand that. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it, it, it was one of those things where I felt the need to let people be themselves a little bit because these are people you have to might have to spend six hours, six eight hours of a day working with. You're not working with them in an office down the hall. You're literally working with them. So when I was hiring people, I went out of my way not to hire jerks. Yeah, that makes sense. Nobody wants to work with a jerk. <laughs> I mean, if you got a jerk who's in the office down the hall, at least they're in the office down the hall and you can close the door, right? Well, if it's a jerk who's 10 feet away from you, every hmm, day. head for the Tylenol, you know? <laughs> yeah. So this is actually, this is definitely a smaller group than I thought. Yeah, so, we would, uh, at full strength, we had five full-time people and uh, three to four part-timers depending on how many hours they worked or how many we had. And there were times where we had two part-timers working 30 hours a week and then you couldn't do that anymore. Uh, the healthcare act changed the way a lot of places handle part-timers. And other times we would have like four people working 10 to 15 hours a week. We hired college kids at the time that would, you know, we had like our kids, Lock Haven kids that come in for like three nights a week, three hours a week kind of thing. And it just, it depended on the person, the situation and what it was. Um, but it, uh, you just had to, you just had to work. But like bigger size, um, like a bigger paper, like, uh, you know, we, our circulation was about 30,000 and to have five people was not full-timers in the meat of it. That wasn't bad. Um, I should, I'd be remiss if I didn't, on the record for you that there are about half as many traditional newsroom newspaper jobs as there were 10 to 15 years ago okay yeah the uh, the the economy i mean you went from the dawn of the internet and an original recession after 9 11 to the financial collapse of 07 and 08 that really gutted advertising and at the same time that was when mobile media picked up yeah. and the internet just became more and more pervasive in daily lives. And nobody and, really loved, like newspapers anymore. I mean, you're, you were born in what, 2000? 99. 99? Yeah. Yeah, I, I used my first high-speed uh, cable internet in 1999. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I just, I'm just thinking out loud here, you probably learned to read well enough to read a newspaper 05, 06. Yeah. And by that time, even you could get most of what you wanted to online. I mean, when I when you were five years old, I had a BlackBerry. Maybe your parents had one too. The, yeah, my mom had a BlackBerry. Yeah, and so you could get information that way. And so yeah, newspapers. One of the issues newspapers have is, um, you know, they're trying to run a newsroom that publishes a newspaper and a website at the same time, and there are certain 
fixed fundamental things you have to do with a newspaper, like meet newspaper deadlines so you can go to press. If you run a website, it's 24-7 and you're liberated from having to produce a newspaper. It, you know, if you're a sports editor for a place that does not have a print product, your day is completely different. It is completely structured around the events and when you want to upload things onto the web for maximum traffic. Mm. A lot of the time in sports, it's when games are being played on game nights and also uh, during the day, you know, like you're competing with people doing their jobs. There's an old saying that if you're gonna compete with somebody doing their job, you can't lose. <laughs> You know, so if you're putting good sports information out there at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday, uh -huh. well, am I going to read about the NCAA tournament or am I going to tackle this spreadsheet? Mm, that's exactly. a tough call. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's it's 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 the kind of thing where how much goes into pot A and how much goes into pot B, and the editors and reporters can't always control that. Sometimes that's controlled by the newspaper's management. And other times it's a corporate decision. Um, my theory on print going forward is that it still has its place. I just think print editions need to worry less about yesterday and today and more about tomorrow. From a sports standpoint, what does that mean? The NCAA tournaments this weekend, right? I think in uh, just like Saturday's paper, for example, okay? okay? I think you're better off in print worrying about people have enough to read on Saturday's games than making sure you got all of Friday's games in. Oh, really? I think that's... Because you think that because they're not at work on Saturday? Well, that... Well, yeah, I, I picked a bad day, but I would say that for Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday. Oh, really? Like if you had game two of the Western Conference Finals in the NBA on Tuesday night, you don't sweat that. In Wednesday's paper, instead, you run the Game 3 preview for the Eastern Conference Finals. Because what will happen is that preview story should hold up all of the next day. Oh, okay. It's one reason why actually a lot of print newspapers drop stock prices. Because, you know, your stock closes at 41 and a quarter at the end of trading on Tuesday. Mm. Well, by the time somebody reads Wednesday morning what the stock price is, it might have fluctuated. You're already a, too late. Yeah, about a point or two, and you yeah. might have missed your buy point, right? Exactly. Well... People digest things differently during the day. They've had other chances to hear what's going on. Things might get updated. And your one paragraph that you struggled to get in on a game to say you got something in, well, <laughs> maybe it doesn't mention that somebody's knee tweak that was, you know, borderline at 11 o'clock last night. Well, yeah, it's now full-blown sprain and the guy's out for two weeks. And you worried about getting that one paragraph in at least if you run something about the day going forward, you've, uh, you've got something that can ideally hold up, and if somebody might have had a knee injury from a previous game, well, hopefully that's reflected in the story you're gonna run that's gonna hold up the next day. Yeah, okay. So, uh, it's like, we already seen like how newspapers, like, they've definitely been affected by technology and stuff. So, um, but in terms of like covering sports, I've seen a lot like lately, there's been a lot of covering of sports betting, like lately. I don't know. I mean, I don't know exactly what year, but like recently, I've noticed it's been a lot more popular. It's been a lot more mainstream. So, like, how do you feel about that? I I like it. Um, 
I've long had an interest in sports betting, dated. I mean, my parents showed me this picture of me reading the parlay sheet in my Incredible Hulk pajamas from 1981 that my dad got at the Elks Club. <laughs> you know, like growing up as a kid, it was always, oh, Penn State's playing Notre Dame. Who's favored? By how many? Now, nobody cares whether it's five and a half or six, but a field goal or a touchdown, yeah, people worry about that a little bit. Are you a big favorite or a small favorite? Are you an underdog? Why aren't you getting respect? And I think what's happened is with legalized gambling expanding across the country, you know, for the longest time, it was only available in Nevada, which is why for the longest time, Vegas was a code word for sports gambling. Uh, a couple other states had, you know, lottery type parlay sheets, but that was not a thing. Um, but now it's increasingly getting legal. You've been able to do it offshore for a while, but you had to do it with, you know, um, had to jump through some hoops by like maybe buying Bitcoin and then hoping it didn't cut in half by the time you got it in your account. <laughs> um, but yeah, with legalized overall sports betting, yeah. The most important thing you need to remember if you're the media is regardless of what you're doing with it, consider it financial advice, right? Yeah. Jim Cramer, he gets into trouble when he says, this stock's going up, 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 and then it tanks, right? Well, you should be doing the same thing. If you if you're going to say that, uh, you know, Gonzaga's going to win the tournament, you know, bet on them, bet on them, and they don't win, you gave bad financial advice. Now, there are, there's a fork in the road here. You can use gambling for entertainment purposes, like you can talk about your picks and try to make it fun, or you can go with serious financial advice. Like, in pro gamblers... You know, these are people that, you know, have million dollar bankrolls and are barely squeaking out of winning, squeaking out of living, really. They, most people don't win at this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely tailored to the book. Yeah, you need financial knowledge there. If you're going to, you know, bet, I mean, they talk about things like shopping around and going to different books. You know, a big example is, are you going to bet the Eagles to cover a three-point spread or can you only get the Eagles to cover three and a half? That makes yeah. a big difference yeah. because 4% of all games in the NFL are decided by three points, exactly. So that means three, three and a half points. If you're not going to pay attention to the exact spread, you just cost yourself a 4% chance of winning. So you can get real into the financial and mathematical nitty-gritty that I don't think the general public cares about. The other people, for entertainment, you just need to be responsible with them and say, Best small amounts, I think. For Beer them. money. Yeah. I mean, I even said to the class the first day, I don't know who bets. I know some people here do, which your choice. But I said, Brent Musburger's even said this too, so I kind of say so he says that you should do it. If you're going to bet as a college kid, like five bucks a week, five bucks a game, that is it. Do not do this $100 Cowboys all the way kind of stuff. That's just going to kill you. I mean, yeah. and I'm sure you know stories of, you know, People own a fraternity, some guy, a fraternity brother, knows a couple thousand bucks because they were just certain that Duke was going to cover last night, right? Yeah, you're dead in the water. Yeah, the books um, always win. That's what, one thing you got to know yeah. about sports, but the books you, will always win. But people want to know about, people are interested in it, but also at the same time, providing detailed gambling information. Picks for fun are one thing, but you should just be honest about it. Like, post your record, yeah. right? Hopefully you're going to, if you're going to print a line and pick against the line, the line is available the time you publish. Um, and 
there was one other thing I'm trying to think of that is a big point that is important. And I'm drawing a blank. You're, you're, you're giving people financial advice and you've got to be honest with them. And yeah, that's, well, that's really it. You've just, you've just got to be honest with what you're doing and don't mislead people. Don't put lines out that aren't there. Oh, and also the other thing is like, the print newspaper is a source of gambling information. Again, you publish the Eagles as a three-point favorite in Wednesday's paper. By the time I see it, and I might want to actually bet on the fact that you've got them in three-point favorite, and it's gone up three and a half. Well, that's the same thing as the stock price going up a point or two, right? Yeah. Now it's a different if you're a local bookie who just takes the morning printout and says, "Okay, I got the Eagles at three today," <laughs> you know. But that's. It's going to get bigger, and I think outlets have to decide, are you going to get on the wonky financial thing where, God forbid, the readership learns something with their limited attention span, or is it going to be fun in games? But either way you do it, I think the ethical thing is to approach it like you're giving financial advice. Mm -hmm. And I think one important thing, definitely, especially with the fact that it's becoming kind of prevalent, like on TV, on the internet, I think... It's important to know like when to step away, even when you're seeing all that stuff. Like, it's definitely important to know when to step away because I mean, at the end of the day, it is like finances. So. Yeah, and uh, there's I put this on the introductory slide about gambling. You know, it might be your hobby, but it's somebody else's livelihood, and the people that win bet numbers, not teams, not players. Exactly. It's all about like the value in each line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, in your 18 years uh, at the Williamsport Sun-Gazette, uh, the newspaper was very successful. You know, more, so the paper won more than a dozen uh, national journalism awards from the AP sports editors, um, and they were repeatedly top 10 of its size in the nation. So, like, what did you guys do that was so special, like, to uh, make us successful? What we did was, I, I go back to something I told you earlier, was how interesting can you be when nothing interesting is happening? A lot of it comes down to planning execution. Uh, the way a lot of those contests tend to work is you would give them editions of things that you chose, and then there would be two editions that they chose, kind of like a pop quiz. Mm -hmm. And every contest has rules like that. Sometimes, like, a news contest might say, give us every paper from the week of March 9th, and you pick another week out of the year. For us, we'd say, all right, you give us Thursday, February 11th, and Monday, October 19th, and then you pick two other days. We would always pick a Little League day, because okay. that was when we were at our best, and you'd usually want to do it earlier in the series, not later, because like the fog of war would set in on our staff and you just kind of get confused about halfway in. It's like, what day is it? Who's playing? Where is Mexico? No, literally, where in the world is Mexico? Are they in America? You know, you just you get kind of dumb. And uh, it's like working in a kiddie casino with all the sugar shock noises going on over there. It's, hard. it's about the worst working environment I can think of. <laughs> um, but yeah, we would do, we would put our best foot forward there. We'd cover the heck out of that thing. Not only covering the games, but thinking of good enterprise and feature stories to write, cover okay. some issues. And then we'd have to put out a regular sports section, and we'd always try to put, like, uh, we could never cover high school football preseason properly because of this thing. So we'd always try and get a couple of good stories in the can from, like, early, early on. 
and uh, work them in. And so you have these really good action-packed papers in the last couple weeks of August. We do that. You'd usually pick a good, like, high school championship kind of thing. And then for the other ones, you know, you either get lucky or you don't, but the way you hedge it there is to make sure you have something local in every day's paper on the front. That's... That's what they like to see. That's, uh, that, and that's, that, that's just your goal. I mean, you're the Wing Sports Sun Gazette, not USA Today. So even exactly. if all you have is, you know, maybe maybe only we had really going on a certain day is the like coming soccer games. We're going to cover that and maybe we'll play it up a little bit. That's something. That, you know, that, you, you know, you, you put your ball out on the fairway for that day kind of thing, you know, and you just, or maybe a day where nothing's going on, you save a feature story and run it. Maybe you blow it up. And other times, maybe somebody wrote a column that's pretty good. Instead of just running it as a standard column, maybe down the side of the page or down the bottom of the paper, maybe you find some good pictures that go with it or art or graphic or design and you make it up into a little something more. I mean, not to the point where it's going to be misleading or distort the importance of the story necessarily, but to make sure that your presence Again, the presence of the readers is more important than a contest judge because, you know, people see things that don't matter or things that they've heard before, and it just gets more and more important to be local in ways that people haven't seen it before in a newsroom. The more you're doing that, the better off you're going to be. So when, you know, those dates would get announced, you'd look back and go, okay, Monday, October 11th, what happened? Okay, we got some Penn College roundups, and oh hey, we had some. He ran a wrestling call on that day. We're good, you know. That I mean, that literally we think to ourselves, that's enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And on a given day, if I had nothing else going on, I'd say, well, we're good, you know. People mm-hmm. still want to read about the Steelers. People still want to read about a Penn State football team. Maybe I didn't write the story, but somebody else did. We'll run it. Um, it was just the. It just kind of goes back to. How interesting can you be when nothing interesting is going on? Of course, you want to make the interesting things good. And at the same time, planning and execution, whether it's, you know, any walk of life from cooking dinner to, (laughs) you know, writing a term paper to everything else you might do. Yeah, it sounds like you guys just, like, continuously just made the most out of everything, like, on on every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I would... When I might start dragging a little bit, I personally would start talking about smoke and mirrors. Uh, sometimes there's a little bit of that involved. Um, and again, that's maybe if you only have one local picture and it's good enough, maybe you just make it instead of like this, you know, again, visual medium podcasting, but you know, instead of making it like six inches wide, you make like it eight or nine inches there. wide. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure, like students know all about that. <laughs> yeah. It's still it's still local coverage, yeah, and yeah. so it it mattered. And then you just live on to fight another day. If newspapers and sports media were a sport, they'd be baseball. You know, you're not doing one issue a week; you're doing something every day. And except there's no off season. <laughs> so, after um your your career as a whole, you know, working at the Sun Gazette, being I mean, working with the Associated Press Sports Editors. Uh, overall, and getting your master's, like overall, is there anything you wish you could have done differently over the course of your career? The one story I sat out because I had to was Sandusky. Oh. Um, that's not to say I would have wanted to be in the nitty gritty there, 
but there were people that earned some reputations there. Again, Sarah Gannon led the charge on that. I'm not making any. She and that was her story. But there, yeah, there, we could have done some better things with that. The problem I had was, I grew up there. I knew his family. You know, my mom even said. Really? So you, so you actually did you know him? Oh yeah, I mean not not well. I knew his family kind of well, but oh. like my mom was pretty good friends with his wife for a while. And she's like, oh, I think he's being extorted. And there's this old line about journalism: if your mom says it's raining. Get a second opinion and look out the window. <laughs> I felt that test, and honest to God, you know, it's like there's no way he did all that, you know. But I mean, you know, but I kind of, I mean, there have been some things I could have done there, and uh, we could have done some better things. I do not. When you say things, you could have done like just like, we could have just reported the story better on our own end instead of replying, relying on other people to do. Like the day Joe Paterno had his funeral, I knew uh-huh. where that was before it happened. Because really? I know people who know people, yeah. but I'm sitting there with an 18-year-old and a six-month-old at home. I'm not going to get, am I going to, uh, really? Am I going to get a babysitter to go play paparazzi at some guy's funeral? Because I know the exact best shot. The paternal was buried a half mile from my parents' house. Yeah. I know exactly where I was. <laughs> get the two-foot Sports Illustrated lens on there, the telephoto thing. I could have gotten something, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, really? I mean, is that... I don't miss when, again, when my health kind of started deteriorating and I stopped kind of caring about the big story that I definitely knew it was time for a change. And I like not caring if I know about something. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, you're like... It's like, okay, I see, like, when Penn State hired its coach the other day, I'm like, okay, I thought he might have been a guy... You know, five years ago, I'm like, okay, who's this going to be? Let's figure this out. Let's get this down. But, you know. You just feel peace with letting it go. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm at yeah. peace with it. Like, I, uh, like when Penn State got blasted with this, the, uh, the, the, the probation and all that stuff, I mm-hmm. thought they were going to get a fine, and I wrote something about that, because you look, look at all the six things the NCAA can do, and I'm like, they'll fine them a bold game amount of money, the way they did with Ohio State. Yes, sexual abuse is worse than a bunch of tattoos that Ohio State had after all prior. But this is a criminal matter. And then they went out and did above and beyond that because um, they didn't want somebody to write a $50 million check and make it all go away. So they took away wins and all that. That, that stuff I did get. But uh, yeah, when I see things, big things happen and I don't, I can just find out about it like everybody else. It's, yeah. it's kind of nice. You know, I, I get to look, look at things now and we talk about them in class. It's like, this is why they covered it this way. This is why, this is how it gets out. This is, uh, you know, we talked about uh, in class the other day. There was a, you know, you know who Cordell Stewart is? Yeah, the quarterback. Yeah, he, he had a, he put a Players Tribune piece out uh, last month. He had a weird story when he played um, that he was caught um, soliciting male sex at a public park in Pittsburgh went to jail and the thing dug him for his whole career. But you can't deny something. I never heard that story. If people think it's true, you can't deny it. And and we talked about this. There was nothing to report because there were no charges. It's like if somebody as famous as a starting quarterback of the Steelers went to jail for something like that. I mean, we just mentioned Deshaun Watson. Good Lord. (laughs) But people wanted to believe it happened. And if you put Dan Rooney and the chief of the Pittsburgh police out there at a press conference to put, you know, put the story to bed in 1998, what happens? 
How would that story play out today? To be honest with you, I kind of forgot all about it until I saw the Players' Tribune piece. I'm like, oh, we got to bring this up for class. And he wound up on, uh, he did a bit on the Tamron Hall show a couple weeks ago because um, he was also in the Real Housewives of Atlanta with his ex-wife a while back. And it was kind of like a running joke about it. And he finally just now talked about how it came out. Uh, Dan Rooney got it from the police that it was a rogue cop that the police would not identify that started the rumor because a cop like this says that people are going to believe it. Stewart makes the point that all it took was people who wanted to believe it to be true for it to spread like this. And if you want to Google Cordell Stewart and uh, Players Tribune, you'll find it in there. He wrote it well, six weeks ago now, but uh, it's I cannot imagine something like this happening nowadays. I even remember I had a couple of friends ask me about it. I'm like, I have not seen one story come across the wire about this thing. I am not, you know, making, <laughs> I am not making up something out of nothing, but hey, it's, uh, it's, it's a strange world out there. So going back to that regret that you had over the Sandusky story, um, just to understand, so like, just was it like the magnitude of it? Like you got, that you, that you didn't personally get yeah, to Yeah, it's like I should I felt like I should have seen it coming. Uh, I remember even I was talking, I, I've talked to a local Penn State group a couple of times. There's fans, you know, they're going to drink beer and talk Penn State football and raise 50 bucks for a charity kind of thing. But then I remember telling them I was there about a year before it happened. and Or not even that. Like the grand jury had uh, gone in, that had been reported. And I'm like, I think he's innocent. There's no way he did it. I wish I would have stepped back from that. I'm glad I never wrote a story in that time saying he's innocent. But that's also the kind of story where you can't just like parachute in and write one thing and then go away from it necessarily. You've got to yeah. be there every day. And the way the newspaper is structured, when we're going to just abdicate running the department for six months to go chase the story, which is legitimately real and legitimately big. But it happened. Um, you know, I, I, but again, you have to realize your job, even as much as you know, is an editor and not a reporter. And if it's just beyond the scope of what you can do, you know, there's an internet slogan for blogging and it applies to journalism too. Do what you do best and link to the rest. Well, as an editor, you know, you report on what you can report best and then let other people help you with other stories. I mean, we had... We had coverage on it. We just didn't have. We just were nowhere near the front edge. That's all. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I understand that because yeah, it was definitely a big story. Yeah. That's. It's not like the kind of thing where you can come in and like you could, you could in theory go to the Olympics and find a story on one day and get the heck out of there and it'll be fine. You can't go into something like that, write a story one day. And then yeah. turn it over. Because even like three days later, it's still not even just on ESPN, it's on CNN. Oh, everything. Yeah, the whole so, thing was awful. Mike Pitt, yeah. one of the, uh, Mike McQuarrie, if you remember that name from that mess, the quarterback and the assistant coach, his parents and my parents are neighbors. Right. <laughs> my parents couldn't get into the driveway one night because CNN trucks were blocked out. And my dad was patting himself on the back because McQuarrie's dead. Garbage cans got knocked all over the place. So one day before work, he went out and <laughs> reassembled them and put them there. And funny side note to that, my brother got it. He's an accountant, and one of his firms that he used to work with did federal work. So he had to get a security clearance. And the feds came around knocking on neighbors before he grew up. 
and one of the neighbors that was home, Miss McQuarrie, was visiting his parents. So the feds come knocking on the door. Mike McQuarrie answers, and according to my mom, there was like a, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Uh-oh. And they, not ha-ha funny, but like, no, I'm here just, you know, do you know this guy from two houses away that doesn't live here anymore? <laughs> Crazy. Would he, would he be allowed on a... Uh, naval ship to audit their records <laughs> that's definitely crazy that you were around that all I could all I could really do was uh, if I saw things that looked out of whack um, correct it so we wouldn't have like just just kind of inform what we printed and how the headlines worked and that kind of thing but other than that I couldn't do a whole lot off the field Okay, yeah, that's all for today, guys. Uh, that's the first episode. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, also, thank you, Professor Brigandi, for uh, being a guest. It was fun to have you. I had some good insights, some great stories as well. So, yeah, thank you. Great to be here.